Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Grainy again. Let's turn to Psalm 113. <clears throat> Psalm 113. Psalm 113. Let me read the whole psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Apparently, Psalms 113 to Psalm 114 was sung by the Jewish uh, community before the Passover meal during the Passover celebrations. So the, the Passover was a meal that was meant to commemorate uh, the deliverance that God uh, wrought uh, through the hands of Moses in the Old Testament God delivered his people from enslavement, uh, from slavery uh, in Egypt. He delivered them from, from, from Pharaoh. And there was a feast that God commanded, that God instituted, uh, so as to commemorate that, that deliverance. And that was the, the Passover meal, or the Passover celebration. Uh, they would take a lamb, and they would uh, slaughter that lamb, and devour that lamb and consume that lamb uh, in different houses and uh, families. Uh, and apparently uh, before that meal uh, was uh, consumed, before the meal was eaten, uh, the Jewish community would uh, sing 
uh, Psalms 113 and Psalms 114. And then after the meal, um, after the meal, after the consumption of the meal, the, uh, the Jews would sing Psalms 115 to Psalm 118, just after the meal. That means chances are that these Psalms, uh, Psalm 113 included, uh, these Psalms were sung by our Lord uh, and his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. Uh, if you remember in Matthew chapter 26, uh, we are told that after the, the meal, uh, after Jesus had a meal with his disciples, uh, that meal wherein he instituted the Lord's Supper, after that meal we're told that they sang a hymn. By the way, it's one of the most interesting things about Jesus for me. Jesus sang. Right? Jesus sang. I look forward to the day in glory when I shall see his face and, and hear him sing with my own ears. All right? it's, an, it's an amazing thing. But that's a, an interesting piece of information to consider as we come to Psalm 113. The psalmist is calling us to praise the Lord. The, the main thrust or the main theme of this psalm is that the psalmist is calling us to praise the Lord, the Lord who regards and raises the needy and the downtrodden. Number one, what? What? What's the main theme of the psalm? I've slightly answered this question, but what are we exhorted by the psalmist to do? Verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. To praise the Lord means to honor the Lord. It means to commend the Lord. It means to magnify the Lord. It means to appreciate and marvel at the Lord. The psalmist is calling us to praise the name of the Lord. That's how the psalm begins, isn't it? Verse 1, praise the Lord, the psalmist says. That's how it actually concludes. That's how it ends, the latter part of verse 9. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, as some of your translations will say. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it is the servants of the Lord that are called to praise the name of the Lord, those who share in the Lord's great work, those who have the grand and the awesome privilege of serving him, the servants of the Lord. And as a Christian, you are a servant of the Lord. God has purchased you with the uh, the precious blood of his son, and you are his. You belong to him, and he has called you to himself to serve you, rather to himself, to God himself, to serve him all the days of 
your life. And therefore, you ought to praise the name of the Lord. The psalmist says, praise the name of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that you simply praise the title of God or you simply praise the title of the Lord. In the Bible, a person's name is tied to their identity. It is tied to their character, their nature. It communicates all that the person is. Therefore, when the psalmist says, praise the name of the Lord, he means honoring and exalting Jehovah himself and his character, which are represented by his name. Praise the name of the Lord. He means praise all that God has revealed about himself. Praise him for who he is. We must praise God for all that he has revealed himself to be. Everything that he has revealed about himself must be honored, it must be revered, it must be highly esteemed by us. It must be appreciated by us. It must be marveled at by, by us. We are called to praise the name of the Lord, all that he has revealed about himself. You know, I thought about this and I thought to myself, Christians are the only people in the world that can do this correctly and rightly, right? Christians are the only people in the world that can praise God for all that he has revealed about himself. Think about it. People that are not saved, they have the tendency in their minds, they have the tendency to strip God of some of his attributes. They have the tendency to strip God of those attributes that are unpalatable to the taste of fallen men. They strip God of his holiness. They strip God of his just and his righteous character. They strip God of his omniscience. These are attributes that they do not like. These are attributes that are very uncomfortable to their fallen tastes and so unconverted men strip God of these attributes. They don't want to believe it. But we as Christians, we are called to praise the Lord and to praise all that he has revealed about himself. Exalting him, his character, which are represented by his name. Everything that he has revealed about himself you must honor, you must praise, you must appreciate, you must esteem as a believer, as a Christian. So that's what we're called to do. What? That's number one. That's what we're called to do. Number two, when? When must we praise the name of the Lord? Verse two. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. The psalmist says both now and forevermore. Our duty is to praise the Lord when? In the present. In the present. Now. In these imperfect bodies and in, 
in whatever situation you might be in at this moment, you have the, the glorious and the awesome and the grand privilege of praising the name of the Lord now, today. Now and in eternity, he says, forevermore. Forevermore, you will be praising the Lord. This is one of the greatest pleasures about heaven. We will praise the Lord with bodies that cannot sin in a perfect earth. I hope you're looking forward to it. This is one of the things that you're longing for. This is one of your greatest desires, to praise the Lord with perfect bodies in a perfect earth, to see the face of God and praise him for all eternity. You know, this is one of the greatest business of eternity. You read the book of Revelation and you see what is happening around the throne of God. And you come away with the thought and the idea and the reality that in heaven, the name of the Lord is praised continuously. And folks, that's, that's why, that's one of the reasons why heaven and eternity would be agonizing and unbearable to the unregenerate man and woman. Right? Their only fixation is the streets of gold, the pearly gates floating in the clouds, doing nothing but playing harps. Well, they think that's better than going to hell. No, the great business of eternity in heaven is to praise the name of the Lord, it is to praise God. And souls that have not been born again do not have a desire to praise the Lord, let alone praise him forever, in eternity, forever and ever. Right? There's no series there, at least I think, or movies. It's God. I hope you're looking forward to it. As servants of the Lord, we must praise him now, and we will praise him forevermore. What, when, where? Where must the name of the Lord be praised? Where must the name of the Lord be praised? Where must we praise the name of the Lord? Verse 3. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That means that God in his glorious perfections must be praised everywhere, in every place, from east to west. From the mountains of Jerusalem to the distant lands of Umtat and Cape Town, in Johannesburg, Everywhere in the entire world, Jehovah must be praised. Right? So we don't put on our hat of praising the Lord in, 
in Johannesburg and then we take it off when we travel to Cape Town. Now when we get to Cape Town, we praise the name of the Lord even there. We look at the Table Mountain, we behold the Table Mountain, and we praise the Lord for his creative power. Wherever we go. If we move to China, we praise him there as well and we seek out a place where we can praise him with other servants of the Lord. It doesn't matter where you are, you must praise the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord must be praised there. There is a missional, I call it a missional and evangelistic necessity within verses 2 and 3. All right? By that I mean, if our desire and longing is that the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore and everywhere in the entire world, well, then we'll quickly realize that there's, there's parts and places and people that are not praising the Lord today. And that will move us if we're really concerned about the praises of God and the glory of God, and we realize, we quickly realize that there's parts and places where the name of the Lord is not being praised today, and there's, there's, there's places in the world where the, the name of the Lord is not being praised, well, that will create in us a, a seriousness, an urgency, a concern about missions and evangelism. Right? Those people that are not praising the Lord today, how can they praise the Lord? Through conversion. How will they get converted? Through the proclamation of the gospel. And those are things we need to prioritize so that the name of the Lord is praised, so that God is worshipped, right? It's, it's John Piper's thesis in his book, let the nations be glad. That's his predominant thesis. Why does worship exist? Rather, why does missions exist? Missions exist because worship does not. Evangelism exists because worship does not. Because in heaven, we, we won't need missions. We won't need evangelism. But here on earth we do. Why? So that God would be worshipped by men who are withholding that worship from him. That's why we do missions. That's why you should, you should prioritize missions in your life. Supporting missions. Praying for missions and missionaries. And maybe possibly becoming a missionary yourself. Going to the field and proclaiming the glories of our God and King so that men would be converted and they would praise the Lord. Right, that's, that's why we pray, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I guarantee you what's happening in heaven now is that the name of the Lord is being praised. Lastly, why? Why? Why must we praise the name of the Lord? 
Well, any good Bible student would, would say for many reasons, for a myriad of reasons, we should praise the name of the Lord. But the reason contained here, here in the psalm, is that the Lord is transcendent, but he regards and raises the needy and the downtrodden. Verses 4 and 6 communicates that the Lord is transcendent. That is to say, the Lord is different and distinct from creation. He is so glorious and majestic that all of creation is accounted as nothing in comparison to him. He is greater than creation and independent of creation. Verses 4 and 6. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Creation does not add anything to God. Creation reveals the wonderful glory of God, but it does not add to it. God is independent in glory. In himself, he is in a league all by himself. The nations are as nothing compared to him. He is exalted over all the nations, and he is high above the heavens. The cosmos, those vast scores of stars and galaxies, and the heavens beyond that where the angels dwell. The Lord and his glory is high above all of that. That is a very elevated view of God. He is a big God, a majestic God. In fact, the psalmist probes who is a God like this. The gods of the pagans, they are they're only the art and the imagination of men, and they constantly depend on, on men. The foolishness of idolatry. People creating their own gods with their own hands and having to carry those gods on their own cars. And those gods can do nothing for the worshiper. They can do nothing to the worshiper. But we are tempted to idolatry as well. It may not be statues, things, things like marriage, things like children, things like ministries, things like reputation, things like school, stuff where you get so fixated with this one thing that if God doesn't give it to you, you become angry. You're tempted to even leave God because he's not giving it to you. But all those things are puny gods. They cannot fill you. They are not transcendent as God is and glorious as he is and big as he is, and majestic as he is. He is seated on high, and he is described by the writer as so high above, 
he has to stoop far down, that's what the ESV says, to view the earth and the heavens which are high above us. He has to stoop down. That's how big he is. Glorious. Transcendent God. But as infinitely exalted as God is, he condescends to us. He regards and he raises the needy and the downtrodden. Verse 7 to 9. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. He condescends to us. He helps us. He is not aloof. He is not this impersonal, abstract entity that's aloof. He meets us at our point of need. He reaches out to us. He regards the poor, that is, the needy. The poor and the needy and the barren woman were people who bore a sense of shame in those days. They were considered unworthy and lacking. They were disregarded and marginalized, but the Lord takes note even of such people. He does not despise the poor. He does not despise the needy. He does not despise the barren because of their position. He takes note of them. He cares even for the most humiliated. Wonderful, isn't it? As big and glorious as he is, he desires to have intimate dealings, even with the lowest, even with the despised, disregarded. That's a big thing. I mean, imagine if I told you that Ramaphosa called me this morning. And I had conversations with Ramaphosa. He'd probably tell me that he needs to fix the ESCOM problem. And I'd probably tell you that he's told me that his hands are tied. But you, you'd say, see, you, you spoke to Ramaphosa. Right? Because of his position and because of my lowly position, it doesn't add up. But folks... You get to speak to God every day, and he gives you an ear. Some of you did that this morning. You pray to him. The God of the universe who controls all things gave you an ear. And he fellowships with you. As transcendent as he is, he regards and he raises the needy and the downtrodden. And there's no greater manifestation of this than in the incarnation, right? This transcendent God, majestic and glorious, enjoying the privileges, the rights, those delights that he experienced and enjoyed in heaven as God. And for a time, he set aside those rights and privileges. And without ceasing to be God, 
He put on human flesh. He condescended. He came into this world as a man. And a servant of the man. For the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he lived to serve, and he lived a perfect life on, on our behalf. We were wallowing in sin, wretched, impure, under the wrath of God. But he came into this world and he condescended and lived a perfect life in our stead. And he condescended further by going to a cross and dying on the cross, bearing our sin and the infinite weight of God's wrath against our sin, crushed. And he died. He subjected himself to death so that he might lift us up, so that he might raise us up, so that one day we might sit with him and reign with him we who are the lowest of the low. Praise him for his transcendence and condescension. Lastly, let me just read this quote from Table Talk magazine. It says, God is according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He made heaven and earth, and he works all things according to the power of his will. He is holy, holy, holy. The God who sits enthroned in heaven and to whom the nations of this earth are like a drop in a bucket. This God condescends. God who is superior to us, in whom we live and move and have our being, is a condescending God. It is not patronizing to describe God in this way, and it is not pejorative. It is, in fact, the heart of the gospel and the story of the Bible. The greatest and most wonderful example of God's condescension is in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. God became man and took on flesh. The one who hung the stars lay helpless in a manger. The one who we teach our children is so big, so strong, and so mighty, became so tiny, so weak, and so powerless. The king of the angels was made a little lower than the angels. The creator of time entered time. The one whose everlasting arms are underneath his people lay vulnerable in his mother's arms. Surely we can praise such a God. As servants of the Lord, let's praise him. When, now, and we will do it forevermore. Where? Everywhere. Let's praise him everywhere. And let's endeavor that he's praised by all men 
everywhere. Why? Because as transcendent as he is, he condescended to us. And he raised us up and gave us eternal life. And we will one day reign with him forever and ever because of that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. Lord, from our hearts, cause us to praise you to commend you, to honor you, to highly esteem you. We thank you for your kindness and your grace. Thank you for condescending to us. We did not deserve it. Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we would also endeavor, those men and women that are not praising you at this moment, that we would endeavor to communicate the good news to them and pray for them so that in the end they would worship you and praise your name now and forevermore. In the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen. Amen.